You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. Just a little bit of review because I just want to make sure we still are on the same page. We started talking in the new year as we kind of reset for the new year that we gather so that we grow and then that we can go and be the church. And I kind of gave you a couple key words and I want to make sure you're awake, number one, but I just want to keep reinforcing what it is we're about as a church. So we gather to do what? That was so sad. Y'all are weak sauce. Weak sauce, Atlanta Falcon weak sauce is how weak sauce you are. All right, yeah, see now you're offended and you might do something about it, good. So we gather to do what? Equip. We gather to equip so that we grow into what? What do we have as our growth paradigm? Our specs, right? Our S-P-E-C-S, scripture, prayer, engaging the culture, in community, stewarding resources. And then we go to do what? You better get this one. Be the church. That's what we're about. And so when we gather, uh, we gather and we study the scriptures together. And one of the things, if you're new, visiting, what we do is we kind of open the scripture every week. We study through books of the Bible. Uh, It it enables us to get a context and a flow. These are real letters, real books written to real people. So to kind of put together the pieces of what's going on on the other side, it gives us the ability to do that. But here's another thing it does. It also keeps us honest because we can't skip the hard stuff. Right? You can't, you can, you can just, if you're just going to pick and choose and jump around the scripture, you'll never get the hard stuff. And so once in a while, you'll come to a passage that's super countercultural. Right? It's kind of like the culture's going this way, and it's like right in your face. And then once in a while in the scripture, because Peter says that Paul writes hard stuff that's sometimes hard to understand, sometimes you'll come to a passage, you're like, what does that mean? I have no clue. Right? A very technical issue. Right? Got some of those in the Bible. There's a handful of them. Guess what? Today we have one of the Mac Daddy passages of all the Bible. We have a huge cultural issue and we have a technical issue. So if you are visiting this morning, God has brought you here on a day that you will never forget. All right? Um, There's this movie in the 80s. Not recommending it. Don't go see it. But it's called Roadhouse. All right? Um, Patrick Swayze is like a bouncer and he goes, again, don't go see it. I'm sure it's got, I haven't seen it in years, but it's probably got a bunch of junk in it. But it's about a guy, he's a bouncer, and he goes and straightens out bar. And at the bar he works at, there's like this cage around the band so that no one can get to him. I feel like I might need one of those today. <laughs> All right. Um, but since we pride ourselves as a cultural of being a, so, so open-minded, I'm going to ask you to cease throwing things till the end. All right. And if you do want to talk about some of these things, I would be glad to sit down with you um, because here's what kind of big picture what's going on. Remember, First Timothy, right? We called it house rules. You got this guy, the Apostle Paul. He's in this city called Ephesus. This city is like the New York City of its day. So it's really cutting edge culturally. It's super huge. Everyone's super hipster, very open-minded, right? And they got a church there. And this church has got some false teaching that's kind of crept in, and, it, and it's causing some issues, And so Paul's fine with that, but then all of a sudden Paul, for some reason, has to leave town to go to Macedonia. And so he's got his young protege, Timothy, who's a young dude from the country, right? So he's kind of a little bit of a redneck living in New York. And he's got like timid, he's a little timid, he's a little kind of like hesitant. And he's also kind of sickly, 
He's kind of always like sick, like, yeah, Paul, Paul said this, y'all. You know, he's kind of, and so he, and he's facing this false teaching, and, and, and he's, his job is to stop it and to kind of bring order back into the church. And so he gives them these house rules, as we call it, of kind of, here, here Timothy, I know you're a little nervous. Just do this. Here's the house rules. And so we talked about truth right up front that produces love. And we talked about prayer, right? And we talked about mercy. And these are the rules so far. Today, he's gonna, his rule is going to bring some order. Apparently, the gathering of this church, and it didn't look anything like this. They were meeting in homes. It was probably 20 to 30 of them, right? They didn't have screens and all this stuff. But when the church gathered, apparently, there was a little bit of disorder and chaos. And it was related to this false teaching, right? Uh, and so we're going to talk about that today as how he's going to bring some order. He's going to talk in the next couple of weeks about leadership in the church and elders and deacons and all these things. And last week, if you weren't here, we laid a foundation that's imperative for this week. We went back to Genesis 2 and 3 and we saw two things. Number one, men and women are created equal and have equal value and dignity, period. End of story. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Number two, men and women created in the image of God are distinct and unique as well. They are equal, but they are distinct. They're unique. There's differences, major. We carry the image of God in different ways. And that is foundational to this text because you can misread it or misunderstand it if you don't know what's going on there, right? So there's four big ideas. He's going to speak to the chaos that the men are causing and some of the chaos that the ladies are causing. He's going to start with the men, all right? So verse 8. Oh, we don't have a verse 8, do we? We got a verse 8? Give me, give me verse 8. I got it in my Bible. I just was for y'all on the screen. All right. He says this. I desire that in every place the men, and it's the men, it's not the menkind, it's the men, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, is he saying that only men can pray? That's dumb. If you've heard that, that's dumb. All right? If you've heard only men are supposed to pray in a church, then why in 1 Corinthians does he say that when women are praying, and then he gives instructions? Okay, so don't let some sermon that you heard 20 years ago that was probably not a, you know, accurate about this text, are men and women in the church supposed to pray? Yes. He gives instructions elsewhere. Let scripture interpret scripture. What's going on is, remember, there's false teaching, there's all these divisions, and it's pro these men are at the root of some of it. And when they gather, they're fighting. They're showing up like, yeah, let's talk about this, and let's talk about it, and they're debating in the back about genealogies, and there's all sorts of wacky stuff we're going to see in chapter 4 and 5 going on. Where whatever these false teachers are, they're saying, well, you can't get married, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and this is what a real Christian looks like. And these men are coming to church fighting about it, right? And it's not making the gathering of the body a, a, a fun time, because all they want to do is fight and debate minor issues of theology. And so Paul is telling the men, okay, men, how about this? Instead of fighting, why don't you pray? Why don't you get together and start praying about these things? Because it's real hard, y'all to be mad at somebody when you're praying with them and when you're praying for them, right? When you're, you know, when this guy comes up to you and says, hey, man, my brother's in the hospital. Can you pray for him? It's hard to get mad at him because he believes in X. You'll know because you don't believe what I believe, in, right? It's hard to, to stay disunited when you are praying for the same thing. When you're praying for the governor, Lord, help the governor of their little city or maybe Rome be, be good to the church so that we can keep worship. It's hard to do, be, be upset with each other when you're coming around and praying together. And so that's what he's telling the men. Stop being a bunch of grumpy, frumpy men sitting in the back, crossing your arms, looking at the preacher, and fighting about whatever, and start praying, right? And, and lifting your holy hands. And that's a posture of prayer. And the idea is not every time you pray, you have to be like, touchdown, eagles, right? That's not the idea. 
the, the idea there is this is a, is a posture of humility. It's a posture of receiving, of, of please, God, speak to me. They're coming in trying to, this is what I believe. This is what I want. This is what I say. And he's saying, wrong posture. Come in with a receiving, humble, submissive. Don't stand in the back singing, behold our God, but in your heart you're mad at that guy over there. Right? It's hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. And maybe the application is this. And this is men and women. Right? If you're mad at somebody and you're frustrated with someone when you're coming to the gathering, maybe a practical thing that's right out of the text would be you grab that person, go over to the coffee area and say, can we just pray together? Because right now, and maybe they don't know you're mad at them and that's the way you're going to tell them that you're mad at them, whatever. But maybe that's a way to start bringing oneness. Right? Can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I'm going I'm to write your name in my little journal. I'm going to pray for you this week. What can I pray for? You know, let's do that. I don't know. But the point is, grumpy men, stop fighting, right? Start praying. That's, that's, that's point number one. So you got grumpy men fighting. Now he's going to move to some ladies who are dressed kind of sketch, all right? All right, so let's look at it, right? This is where I start tiptoeing. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls, costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What is probably going on, remember, you have the temple of Diana. She is a female deity. The way you worship the female deity would go up to the temple and you would join yourself to one of the female prostitutes. That was a worship service. And the female prostitutes would be out front of the temple and they would be dressed sketch. Right? They'd be all ostentatious and showy and you would know who the priestess and who the prostitutes were. Okay? A lot of those girls, maybe they got saved. Whatever's going on, it seems that that has crept into the gathering of the church. So you've got a couple ladies that are looking like a couple of those ladies. And it's causing distraction. The issue here, y'all, is not how you wear your hair. The issue is not wearing gold or pearls or anything like that. That's, that's very cultural for what they are. He's not saying, oh, I got my pearl earrings. Fowler's going to see me. Oh, my goodness. I'm in, you know, I'm in trouble. That's not the heart of it. Okay, that's not, it's not about jewelry. He's not saying, women, you ought to just kind of roll out of bed, your hair all, you know, your breath like the cat did something in your mouth last night. We're not talking about that, okay? You read the Song of Solomon. She's beautiful. She's dressed up. He's handsome. Beauty is something, we talked about it last week, that God has given women distinctly a way to reflect the glory of God and the image of God in a way they carry beauty. Beauty is inherently feminine. That doesn't mean men can't do beautiful things, but beauty is an inherently feminine thing. And God has called you to manage the beauty he's given you in a way that honors him, in a way that men don't have to do it. Men even identify beauty in different ways. And you want proof positive? Go to some, We're in the season of Olympics. Summer Olympics, beach volleyball, women's beach volleyball. Do you know they have men's beach volleyball? No one cares about men's beach volleyball. <laughs> right? They don't, they don't care. It's not on prime time. Tonight, men's beach volleyball. Everyone's like, who cares? They have that. Right? But when it's women's, it's everybody's watching. You tell me why. It had nothing to do with volleyball. Nothing. But, but that's part of that is the fallen reflection of how we've been wired. We know that women carry beauty in a different way. Men, men see it in a different way. And there, it is a desire, ladies, it is a God-given desire for you to want to be beautiful and to want to look nice. That is good. We do not want to suppress that. And the issue here is not hairstyles and jewelry. The issue is what are you drawing attention to? That's the issue. 
How are you using your God-given beauty? And it's bigger than appearance. It's not just what you wear because he's talking about self-control. He's talking about all these different things. It's about how you, your attitude and your perspective and, and you have to be the center of attention and you have to be Miss Flirty or whatever. And at this apparently gathering of, of an Ephesus, you got a bunch of ladies that want to be the center of attention. And maybe it's promiscuous. Maybe it's just so flashy that you can't even focus on what they're doing up there because this girl is the center of attention all the time and she's just drawing all the attention to herself and away from Jesus. And so... The heart of this is, how are you carrying your beauty, ladies, right? Is it in a way that uh, gets you attention to fill your emotional cup and a deep need in your soul? Uh, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be overtly uh, promiscuous. It could just be, man, I would never catch myself in anything but Lululemon. No way would I wear Nike. You know, it could be just wanting to be seen, like, I can't believe that, that, that they would wear that off brand. It can be like that. It can be just the loudest person in the room so that everyone hears you and everyone. Or it could be overtly sexual. Right? It could be any of those things. The point is, is, this, is how, this is how godliness looks like in a lady. Right? And it's a hard issue. It's not, and it's not even, again, a lot of churches, you know, you want to make rules. It's, there's no rules here. It's not like this short, this tight, don't wear skirts, you know, the arm, you know, tips of the arm. You know, the reason why is because every culture has different standards of even dress. And, 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 and this one dress might be super modest on this person, but with this body type, it might be super immodest. It, it's not about the rules. It's about the heart. Don't dress in a way that, that people marvel at your body. That, that's the idea. It's not that God hasn't given you beauty. He has. It's not God that's against it. He wants you to display it. Dads, we ought to be helping our teenage daughters be beautiful. And not in the like, you know, don't wear this, don't wear this. Not in a dictator, not in a harsh. But at the same time, not completely passive. Like, well, I don't know. Just go to the mall with your mom. We need to be engaged in that and say, this is beautiful. This is, and, and I know the mall's horrible. I know. But maybe you need to go to the mall with your daughter. Right? And help her to be beautiful or help her to, to reflect beauty because that's how God's wired her up. I'm just telling you, that's a good thing. It is a good thing to do that, right? Um, and for those who are, if you're a Christian lady, I mean, look what he says at the end. Those who profess godliness. The point is this. What, Jesus cares about your character. Does he want you to look nice? Does he want you to reflect beauty? Yes. But he's saying, spend as much time as you do in your wardrobe on your character. On who you are. These ladies apparently have been deceived by some heresy. They're pursuing a, a direction that's not healthy. And he's calling them back to character. Because the Proverbs tell us. A gold ring and a pig snout is a beautiful woman without direction. Discretion. An arrogant, beautiful woman is like a pig. Which is good for bacon. But it is bad for beauty. Right? A big old gold ring and a pig. It's just not fitting. Is what he's saying. And I know that this... Here's, well, let me tell you, young guys, you talk to a young guy, right, young single guy, and you tell him this, and I know he doesn't listen because he doesn't hear anything, but if you say, you, you think that, you know, you're thinking about all your options, who you can invite, who you can ask out, who you can whatever, who you can date, here's what I would say to you young guys. You see the pretty girl in the corner, great, you think, understand this, if she does not have godly character, if she, if she doesn't, if she is just a pretty face, I promise you that in the long run, that prettiness won't be prettiness to you anymore. I know you're like, and you're, what you're saying is if she's pretty but she's not godly, she, I won't think she's pretty? I don't believe that. I know you don't. But let me promise you, it's true. Because 
the older, the older I get, the more I realize that godliness is sexy, number one. Uh, the character does matter. Because in the end, gravity wins. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Okay? It, it just wins. I don't care what surgeon or what exercise program you are a part of. In the end, you do not look like you did when you were 21. It's the way it works. And if all you have is appearance, when it fades, what do you have left? That's the point. And I, and here, I, did, I used this back when we did Abraham a couple years ago. This is for you single folks, okay? When you are dating, remember what I told you this, and maybe you weren't here. When you are dating, you want to keep objectivity super high as long as you can. You do want to keep intimacy super low because the more intimate you become, the more you get close to intimacy, the less objective you are, which is good when you are married. Because when you're married, again, we don't look like we do when we're 20 and we're more patient. We want to be more intimate and less objective because we, we live with this person for a long time. What some of you are doing in your dating relationships, you're jumping to intimacy way too much and you're losing objectivity and you end up marrying a moron. Because you are no longer objective. You're like, oh, he's just pretty, he's so handsome, he's got a great job. And you're not thinking. You want to be, stay as close to objectivity and as low intimacy early on as possible so that you make wise decisions. All right, And this path of intimacy, this is called marriage. It's great. It's good. It's what you want. The, the deeper your intimacy uh, as you move down the scale of time. Some of you are jumping way too quick and too much connection too early. Not just physically, but emotionally. We have to do everything together and texting every five minutes. And we're Keep objectivity high so that you make wise decisions and you'll listen to godly counsel. All right? That was a free one for you. All right. All right, so we got men fighting, chill out, pray. We got ladies, manage your beauty well. All right? And in the words of Han Solo, this is where the fun begins. All right? All right, just listen to the text first. Let me go to the next verse. Um, and then uh, I'll read the next two verses, and then, and then we'll, I'll kind of unpack them. Because on the surface, it sounds a little different, I think, than, than, what we, uh, than what's going on here. All right? Verse 11. And you guys can click it up, or if you got it, Louise. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right, so what's going on there? Apparently, the false teachers have infiltrated so that, so that during their gathering, whatever it looks like, you got some chaos going on. You got a bunch of ladies dressing like sketch. You got a bunch of guys fighting over there. And you got a bunch of ladies in the middle of the sermon, like standing up, like, I don't buy that. And, you know, they're just kind of, it's just not orderly. And God is a God of order. Right? He wants things done orderly. And so before I say, tell you what it does mean, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. When he says that, that she is to learn quietly, the idea there is not women cannot talk. If you've heard that, that's so dumb. We have multiple other places in the New Testament where you have these girls that are prophetess, prophesying. You have these people that are praying. It's not saying you have to be, oh, I, Bill, I, I greeted somebody. Is that wrong? Oh, I sang a song. If, that's, if women are supposed to not talk, then why do we have them on stage singing? They're not lip syncing. We're not putting, like, you know, Celine Dion in the background, really. Okay, so he's not saying you have to be quiet. Shh. The idea there of quiet is it's not physical as much as it is spiritual. There's a humility, right? They're receiving humbly. You got a bunch of ladies in the middle of the service standing up, like, ah, ah, and he's saying, no, no, no. Receive. Put yourself under the scripture. Listen, don't be disruptive. And the idea of submissiveness, I know that's like a curse word in our culture right now. The idea of submissiveness simply means to put yourself under. And it's always reflexive in the Bible. 
okay? Whether it's men, women, whatever, children, children are, are to be, they're to, it's a reflexive idea. That means it's in the middle voice. So the active voice is, I hit someone, I threw the ball. Passive voice is, the ball was thrown at me. Middle voice is, I threw the ball at myself, right? It's, it's me doing the work. So when someone says, I'm ne-, you know, that idea of submissiveness, I'm never going to be submissive. That is true. Because only you can make yourself be put under, under something. So when you go home today and you get on the Truman and it says 55, no one is going to force you to go 55. If you go 55, which like none of you do, but if you do, it's going to be because you choose to go 55. You are placing yourself under. That's the idea of submissiveness. That's, that's it. And I know it sounds so negative, but let me tell you, it cannot be. Here's why. Because Jesus is the model of it. It can't be weakness because Jesus does it. And Jesus was not weak. Right? He was God. So where does, he, where does it say he did that? It says Jesus became obedient to the point of death. That he learned in Hebrews, obedience. That he submitted himself to the will of the Father. That not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus himself says, whatever the Father tells me, I do it. That's, that's what it, the idea. And again, remember, the context is we're in the, the gathering. There's some chaos going on. And he's saying, ladies, just I want you to receive. I, I want you to listen to the word. Put yourself under the word. And then he says this, and this is where all the rub is. I, I don't permit a, a, a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather to remain quiet. Again, not being hush quiet. What he's talking about is doing what I am doing right now. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying women should never teach. He actually commands women to teach elsewhere. All right, he doesn't say women should never be in charge of anything. He commands it elsewhere. He shows models of it, that that you have this woman named Priscilla who takes this great preacher, Apollos, and says, hey, Apollos, let me take you and teach you something. She takes him aside and teaches him accurately the gospel because he's kind of missing it, and then he goes out and becomes one of the most powerful preachers. So it's not saying that. What he is saying is when it comes to the eldering responsibilities, i.e. what I'm doing right now, the office of elder, the proclamation and authoritative preaching of the word of God in the corporate gathering, that this role that right now I'm fulfilling is limited to a man. That's what he's saying, right? Uh, that this, and he's going to get in and he's say, where's eldering coming here next week? The very next context is eldering, right? The office of elder. Not deacon. Deacon's a different deal. And then pastor, by the way, is not actually a role in the New Testament. We're going to talk about this next week. It's a giftedness. I know it's an American culture. Pastor Bill, no one calls me, you evangelist Joe and giver Paul. Pastor is a gift. It's not actually an office. We'll talk about it next week. right? But he's saying that this job right here, the preaching and the proclamation over the corporate setting when we gather is to be done only by a man. You say, why is that? Is he just kind of making up a rule? I mean, why is, is he just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of on the fly? Or maybe, maybe we, you know, the argument is super primitive culture. I mean, it's a long time ago, primitive. You could say, well, maybe it was primitive, but here's the problem with that argument. Their deity in Ephesus is a woman. So when you go to the temple, you're worshiping a woman. So it's not, it's not primitive in that sense. And it's very actually forward thinking in their day. It's very open-minded. Whatever happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. It was that. I mean, your worship service was going to the temple, being with a prostitute. That's kind of open-mindedness. 
right? So you, you can't say that. You can't say Paul was anti-women. We looked at it last week. He's, he's empowering women. He's saying this woman's awesome and she's great and she's serving me and she's doing this. And this woman's serving the church over there and she's a deaconess over there. And, and he's just kind of empowering the ladies, which is very countercultural back then. He's actually even telling them, because there's one argument, well, the reason they can't be elders is because, you know, they weren't educated back then. Paul's actually saying they should be. He's like, I want them to learn. I want, a woman was not allowed to study in the, in the Jewish culture. She wasn't allowed to learn the law. She wasn't allowed to be a rabbi. She wasn't allowed to, to learn the theology of the Old Testament. He's saying, I want them to learn. So it can't be that he's anti-female, right? So what is it? That, why does he say that this role, and this is, by the way, the only role in the, the entire church, that is my understanding, that has to be men, is what I'm doing right now, is, is eldering. But what, why does he, what is his reasoning? He says it in verse 13. This is last week. For, circle that word, it's explanatory. Adam was formed first, then Eve. He goes back to the, the very thing we unpacked last week. The order of creation. That, that's where he goes. Had, which we saw had nothing to do with value, dignity, giftedness. It had everything to do with how God did it. Or why God do it that way. I don't know. I wasn't there. Right? But I know he's good. I knew he knew what he was doing, and he still does. And I know it has nothing to do with equality, dignity, worth, intelligent, giftedness, none of that. I, y'all, I was a PE major at the Citadel. All right? I mean, my SAT scores were like barely enough to get in. So if this job is based on intelligence, I've duped you all. <laughs> my wife went to Furman. I couldn't even fill out the application at Furman, let alone get in. Hot, much more intelligent. Right? There is people in this church 10 times better, women and men, gifted at teaching and leading than I am. That's nothing to do with that. Right? And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be using those gifts. We're going to talk about that. But it, it's, it's not, this is nothing to do with that. It is how God has ordained the home, the creation, and the church. And it's a reflection of the order we see in, in creation and in the Trinity, which is equality, but there's distinction. Jesus dies on the cross, not the Father. Now, I know that they're one in some way, but, but I, you know, it's a mystery. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, right? I, there's all sorts of uh, different distinct roles, but yet oneness there, and that's what the church is supposed to be, and that's, that's how God has created it. And I know some are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. Just so you know, I don't go out there fighting with people that disagree with me. I really, I got bigger issues and bigger things. The gospel is more important than me disagreeing with certain people. So I don't go out and get in debates with different denominations. But here's what I know. There's a handful of passages in the scripture that talk about elders and doing what I'm doing. And they all say that it has to be a man, a male. Right? And even those who disagree would say, would go in a different direction. They would not disagree that that's what the text says. I mean, most of them, some of them will try to explain it, but most of them will say, yeah, but, but this is what X and this is Y. They don't argue with the text. They argue with the application of the text. And we as a church, just so you know, this is the, our highest authority. And I will stand before Jesus Christ one day as not, you know, as, as one who is leading y'all as his church. So there's going to be a stricter judgment for me. I'm in the AP class, okay? <laughs> and so in the AP class, I got past the AP test. He's going to say, how did you lead the people of God? How did you teach my word? And I will stand and say, I, I took it at face value. I did it as best as I could. Now, I'm sure that I'm wrong in a lot of things. But when it's pretty clear, I'm going to be pretty clear. And, and you know me. I'm never going to go beyond what Scripture says. I'm just not. I'm going to stay with what the Scripture says and not so we're going to stop. Because I don't want to make rules and laws that aren't in the Bible. 
But this, in the, in the few places it shows up, is pretty clear. It is an ordained thing for men to be elders, right? To be elders. Everything else is fair game. But when it comes to elders, that, this, this is what God has ordained. And it's not just, it's not earned. That's what you need to understand. It's not earned. Another simple example. So if you are blowing off the 55 on the Truman and you get pulled over by the 50, and he says, license and registration, please, you do not go to him, well, did you do your quiet time today? Were you nice to your wife? Because if you weren't nice to your wife and into your quiet time, don't be asking me any silly questions about my license and registration. You're not qualified. See, that's not what you're doing in that moment. That man has been ordained. He represents authority of something, right? And yeah, you want him to be qualified and a good cop. You don't want him to be like some you know, rebel cop or something like that. And, and that's another issue in, in another situation. Uh, but in that moment, he represents authority that has been ordained. And we have to trust that authority, I get it, and that brings up all sorts of fear of abuse and oppression and loss of opportunity, and we'll get to that, right? But that, that's, that's what that is, right? And so th- this is just how God has ordained his church. And just so in case you think, ladies, well, yeah, well, that just means the men are going to start being arrogant. Well, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, and just in case y'all men are arrogant, because you think you're all that, because, oh, yeah, you were born first, like you were there or something, but either way. He says this, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, or man is not independent of woman. You can't say, I don't need you, I don't need you. Why? As woman was made from man, yes, that is true. Now, who, where are you born of? If you were born of your daddy, no. You were born of your mama. And so the minute you start thinking, I'm all that, and I'm a man, blah, 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 go, he's saying, go talk to your mama, because she wiped your butt. And she, she woke up at three in the morning, and you're all crying, because there was a little monster in your closet, you little wimp. <laughs> right? And so, she, go talk to your mama if you think you're all that, is what he's saying. Because you came from, it's a circular deal. Nobody is independent. No one can say, well, we're better. I'm man, I'm woman. No, no, you can't do it because we're all, all things from God. And he reminds of that, right? No arrogance allowed. None of that, who's better, who's worse. We don't talk in that way. We're Christian. And as Christians, we know Imago Day means we're all equal. And it doesn't matter what role you're filling. It doesn't matter that two-year-old in there that doesn't have a job. You may make a million dollars a year, and Jesus says, I died for them just as much as you, and they're just as important as you are. In fact, he says, I love the little children. I didn't, he never says, I love the millionaires. So there you go. Okay, but the point is this. Everyone's equal, and it has nothing to do with what you do. Your value is based on a mago day, right? And then he closes this little section by saying this. Um, Eve was deceived, and she became a transgressor. He's not saying that women are more easily deceived. That is not what he is saying. Okay, I am just as deceivable. You can ask my wife. I mean, one time I bought this stupid thing on the Home Shopping Network. I was like, man, this is a paint roller. That thing looks unbelievable. It paints for itself. And my wife's like, don't do it. It's a, it's a scam. I'm like, don't look at it. It's like, it works. I'm telling you. $39.99. I buy that thing. It was the worst thing I've ever bought. So who's easily deceived? All of us. Right, so that's not what he's saying. His point is, she was deceived. Right? He chose the sin. She was fooled by the snake. And he's not saying, oh, well, now women are more deceived. I think what he's going is, these, these ladies are being led in this church into some, some false teaching that seems to be, they seem to be more susceptible to this brand of it, whatever it is. And this brand is, you need to get out there and you need to take control and you need to take the men and you know, put them down and all these things and you're missing out. And that's the same thing that Satan said to Eve. God's keeping you down. 
He's not letting you be all you can be. I mean, if you could eat that tree, then you'd really be like God. Then you and it's the same argument. And so he's just he's just highlighting, don't buy the lie that you're getting the shaft. Anything God does is good and it's for you to flourish. So don't buy the lie, right? Don't don't let think you're being suppressed. When you are following Jesus, you will flourish. You can't help but flourish. Right? Now, is this a hard issue for the day? Yep. Is it countercultural? Yep. Right? But this is what it says. And then, and then here, here's where the real fun begins. And then he gets into the technical problem. Right? Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, what does that mean? I have no clue. I'm, I mean, I'm, being, I'm being dead serious. This is one of the most difficult statements in all the scripture. I mean, and you can read all the explanations that all the commentaries, and none are going to fully satisfy you. I'm just telling you. This is one of those, like, what does that even mean? It doesn't change the application, but it's very hard. Here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what it can't mean. That women, if you have babies, you get to go to heaven. All right? It doesn't mean that. It can't mean that because we're saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. All right? So you don't get to heaven through Having a baby. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that, some, you know, that you'll be saved in a hard childbirth so, so that nobody's ever going to die in childbirth. We know that's not true. It sadly happens less and less now than it did 150 years ago. But that, that can't be saying that because we see that that's not what it is. Some say he's talking about Jesus' birth and that's the, the childbearing. Maybe, but that's, you know. Here's what I think, and I am 42% sure of it, all right? I think he is using a figure of speech called a synecdoche, you know, kind of fancy word, uh, which, which really means that he uses a part of something to represent a whole, right? We use it all, we do it all the time, figure of speech. You have this, whatever this weird false teaching was going on, we get bits and pieces of it. It's very like, don't get married, don't have kids, don't do that. I mean, it's very weird, kind of all restrictive, and it seems to be attacking the ladies a lot, right? As we'll see in chapters four and five. And what I think Paul is doing here is he's using childbirth as a, as a synecdoche, as a part for the whole of this idea of, of the, the female, the feminine contribution that you have that is being suppressed and being ignored. And he's saying, you don't want to be like a lady, you want to be like a man. And, and he's saying, no, no, no. There's something good about, about how God has created you as distinctly female. And it's, it's a huge asset to the church. Don't neglect it like Eve in the garden saying, yeah, I don't want to be like this. I want to go do my thing. Don't neglect how God has created you distinctly female. That is good and it's beautiful. And it's certainly necessary in the church. I mean, if it's not good for man to be alone in the garden where everything is perfect, it certainly is not good for man to be in, alone in the church where it's not. You saw what the men do. They just start fighting about stuff when it's just men. He said, we need both. So don't neglect how God has made you in the image of, of, of God in a female distinctly way. It is good, right? Don't neglect those things. That is Childbearing, just like all these other things, is a good thing if that's what God blesses you with. Faith and love and holiness and self-control. This is good. Pursue these things. Don't think about the one thing you can't do. Right? Because that's what we did in the garden. We can do everything we want. We can run around naked forever and ever as long as we don't eat that one tree. And in the, in the church, it's so interesting. God says, there's just this one thing you can't do. Everything else is free to serve and do all these things. And so don't, let's not neglect the good that God has for us. I, 
Look, this is a text that kind of hits us in lots of different ways, right? Lots of different applications, super challenging, very, very quote controversial, although I don't think it's that controversial. I think it's very clear. But can I overstate things and miscommunicate? Yeah, I can. But here's what I would ask, that you would, if, just, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the spirit of Christ lives in you, then you pray and ask the spirit to be your teacher as well. And, and think about what's the big idea of this text? What is God saying through this, yes, challenging, but yes, important text that brings order and, and to chaos in the church? And, and I, look, he's a better leader and a better teacher than I'll ever be. Um, and, and that's what he's there for, to do that very thing. So I would just say, if you've got some, some challenge here, pray about this and you read through it and see what the Spirit's teaching you through it. Because it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be him leading you as you read his words. But let me give you just kind of two big picture applications and then we'll worship. Number one is this. All of us are under authority. Right? We, we are. Whether we are in, were you the highest boss at your office? You, I mean, you, you were the CEO of whatever company. You're still under authority. You got this thing called the IRS, right? And the P-Popo, you know, and your homeowners association. And there's authority all over. And every one of you, for the most part, is in authority in some ways. You're like, no, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. You got four kids. You're like, dog. You got it all, right? You got your Bible study you're leading. We all are in authority and under authority, and it's good. And the model for us whether you're in, under, is Jesus. You're under authority, you put yourself under that which God has above you, as long as it's not causing you to sin. You're in authority, you serve and lead like Jesus. Like there, as there has been horrible abuses in the church on passages like this against women, horrible, right? But I can tell you this, it has never been from Jesus. It, he has never been abusive, he has never been domineering, he has never been arrogant, never. And, and you need to know that, ladies. And any abuse of this patriarchal swing that we have or whatever, it, 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 it's, it's not biblical, right? Where you are not lovingly served and led, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a biblical thing. Um, but I would say this, all of us are under authority. And if you, if you don't like that, because as Americans, we really don't like that declaration of independence is proof. We celebrate it with exploding things in the air, right? It's not always good to be independent. In fact, some, you need to be under authority because you sometimes are wrong. You just are. I know we don't like to agree with that. But, but you need someone to say, you know what, you're wrong. And it's okay. We're all wrong. That's why you need community, by the way. So that people can say, hey, Bubba, the way you talk to your wife the other day, I'm wrong. And what you're doing with your, your, your teenage kid there, you're wrong. How you're working over there? You need that. We, I need that. It's called authority, and it's in community, right? And when you're dismissive of that, you know that, that's just arrogance that needs again to be repented of. And when there's selfishness and, and and bitter ambition and wanting to be in charge and all these things, if that's your heart, James says that when there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder. This church right here, Ephesus, disorder. Why? Because there's selfishness. I want to be in charge. I want to be this. I want to be that, right? And so. Learn to, to see authority, biblical authority, not you know, crazy authority, as good. Not only being in it, but being under it. Because we're all equal. It has nothing to do with value. And I know that's a challenge for us, but we need to work through that. And here's the second one. This is the biggest piece for me. Is that both men and women are needed in the church. It has never been meant to be dominated by one of the sexes. Never. 
And again, ladies, I don't know what kind of sermons you've heard on this passage or what horrible things you've heard preached about this passage. This, by the way, has nothing to do with marriage, this passage. It has everything to do with the corporate setting. So if you're a husband saying, yeah, the Bible says for you to submit, you are never commanded or told that you're supposed to tell your wife that ever in the scripture. And it is not your job. It is a reflexive idea. So if you're doing that, then you are sinful and arrogant and need to repent, right? But the idea is that the church needs both male and female distinctiveness. And if you've been wounded or hurt, ladies, or devalued by us or by anybody, I'm sorry. Because it is not the intent of the scripture for you to feel devalued or pushed to the side as if you didn't matter. Because you are just as important and vital to this as any man, any child, any anything. We are equal in Christ. Yes, there's some distinct roles, and yes, elders can only be men. And sometimes we're going to call men to do things because men are passive, and they need to be challenged. And we don't want a bunch of passive men in your homes and at your offices because that, that leads to more chaos. But we are inviting everybody to use gifts, and we have not always been good about getting you in good lanes and, and opportunities, and I don't know how we're going to do what we're going to specifically do in the future, but it is our desire for you to use your gifts in this body and outside to build the body, to clothe yourself with righteousness, right? And we want that. And I know some of you are, oh, only elders can be men. That means the men are run by a bunch of, this church is run by a bunch of men. That's scary. Let me just put you at ease a little bit there. Number one, in the elder room right now, there's like 180 years of marriage represented. There's a lot of female impact there with our wives who are saying, you guys are a bunch of idiots. You know that? You need to, and they do, okay? And we listen to them. So understand that that's true. But also understand this. this we have, our church staff, I think, is, is 20 folks. And almost 50% of the church staff is, is female. It's a little bit under. I think it's like 40. So, but, and in critical areas of this church that are leading and, and giving instruction and giving teaching and counseling. And so this is not a, we're trying to be a reflection of what the New Testament looks like in the church. Because we know it's a place where we all will flourish. But let me encourage, if you're a lady here, do not neglect the beauty and the vital, essential piece of being distinctly feminine in the body. Because it's so needed. And one of the things, that it's kind of, and, and maybe God in the future will let me teach on this, I don't know. One of the ways in which you, he has created you that he hasn't created men is this idea of coming alongside and partnering. When Remember he says, we looked at it last week, I'm like a helper that's suitable. And she becomes the Azair Kenegdo, which is the one who comes alongside and brings strength. There is something powerful, how God has wired you up, ladies, in a distinct way for you to be the one who comes along and lends strength and power. That's how God has designed you. And we need that in this place. And you see it throughout the New Testament. You see it in the Old Testament. You see ladies like Rahab. I mean, not Rahab the harlot. She, you know, <laughs> Ruth. <laughs> Ruth. Who comes alongside Boaz and gives him a little push at some point when he needs to be a little, have a little courage to, to pop the question. And then they become the great-grandparents of David the king. You see Abigail, who is in a really weird situation, but Abigail, who kind of empowers David to not make a devastating effect, uh, impact and kill a bunch of people that would kill his kingdom. You see Esther, who comes alongside this king in a way that she saves the people of Israel from being devastated. 
You see Deborah, who's the, the, a judge, who, who comes alongside the general, who kicks him out there and says, you can do this and go fight this battle. And so he does. You see it, this idea of partnering and nurturing that, that is distinctly feminine. And you say, well, nurturing is a negative concept. It is not negative. Developing people so that they become powerful and strong is not a weak thing. It takes wisdom and unselfishness to pull that off. And we need it here. And ladies, just so you know, you're, you're the ones who are commanded to teach other ladies and to counsel. I'm not allowed biblically to counsel young women. It is the job of older ladies to counsel young women, not me. I'm restricted in that. It's just not wise either. There's all sorts of areas of leading things and teaching over here that, that, that you need to be engaged in, whether it's teaching like Priscilla and, and Aquila to Apollos and coming alongside or teaching other people, or teaching some teenagers this, or all sorts of opportunities for counseling and leading and encouraging and empowering. And, and don't neglect, neglect it. Don't, don't buy into this old stereotype, women need to be barefoot and pregnant and stay at home and blah, 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 blah. If, if you choose to stay home with your kids, great. But the Proverbs 31 woman, she's staying at home, and she's out, and she's up before her husband, and she's up later than her husband, which is probably what some of y'all are too. So these old stereotypes and new stereotypes and all this junk, don't buy it. How has God wired you up? being distinctly female, to, to use your gifts to glorify him in the body and beyond. And I, and I look at my mom, and I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. I look at my mother as a great example. My mother didn't finish college. She went for a couple years, got married to my dad. Um, not a teacher. Didn't work outside the home until I, I think I was in college. Um, you know, you, you would, she would never stand up in front of you guys here. She'd be like all scared, right? But... But in, in some ways, my mother is teaching every week 1,500 people through her firstborn child, who she nurtured at one season of my life. And let me tell you, it was not easy to nurture this knucklehead. I mean, I was a 15-year-old punk, 16-year-old rebel, and I'm, you know, disrespectful, and where's my uniform, and why is this, and why is that? And she dealt with all that. Right, And now she, through her firstborn, is in a way, because of she, if a season of nurturing and empowering me, here I am in my giftedness and the way I'm wired. And I would say that's hugely valuable. Remember in the kingdom, just remember in the kingdom, it is not the one who is seen who is the greatest. It is the one who is unseen. Just remember that, men and women. Not the, it's, the, it's the one who serves. And we need to make sure our values are kingdom values. Not culture values, where the higher up you are, the more important you are. It's hugely important for us as a church to grasp that. Okay? If you're going to throw anything, throw it now. <laughs> All right. And then look, if you want to work through some of these things and talk with us, grab me. I'd love to, you can come in and talk with me uh, if you have more questions. But um, we want to be honoring to Christ through his word, and that's what we are as a church. Why don't you guys stand and we'll worship. Father, I pray that your word would sink in our hearts deeply. That you would, uh, even though there's challenges, that, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you are saying through it for your church so that there's order uh, and, and good coming out and that we would be the church. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.